Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on the Future of Sport, All in Sports Talk. Uh, this will be episode 22. I could start today's interview with a guy who, if I said his name, I might be able to say it needs no introduction, but in this instance, I think it probably does need a a bit of an introduction. My guest today is Chris Evans, sports journalist, uh, an author, and I'm going to begin, if I may, Chris, tell us a little bit about Chris Evans and his involvement in sports journalism. Sure, yeah, I mean, I... uh I guess I started out as a university student, like a lot of other people do. Um, I started 11 years ago now. Um, wanted to be a sports journalist, and it's kind of like snowballed from there. Uh, do a three-year degree, uh, go off, obviously go and get different experience. Uh, when I worked at like, the Press Association, did a lot for local newspapers, start stepping on to doing like, national stuff. Um, I've written for like 442, um, Independent, Mail Online, things like that. So it's just kind of gone from there, and... Uh, I decided about 15 months ago that I wanted to uh, wanted to get into book writing as well, so I wanted to, to go out and find a good story. I mean, Chris, one of the great things about great introduction there, but I think one of the real um, objectives within my radio show, with everything that I do, with the future of sport and all in sports talk, and lots of other things which hope we can touch upon um, in, in today's short 20-minute interview or so, is that I'm always uh, encouraged, it's always refreshing and, and really rewarding to hear, you know, career aspirants, students, and particularly students that I've known and come across over many years of being involved in education and sport. So that intensity, if you like, or that um, kind of introduction through university and so on, what are some of the key things that you've learned already in your or on your journey or on the pathway to being involved in sports journalism, Chris? I guess well, I, went, I went to Staffordshire University okay. first of all, anyway, so it was a sports journalism degree there. So back back in, um, I'd say it was 11 years ago, so back in um, 2006, it was still a relatively new course, um, and I think it has changed quite a lot when I've gone back and seen what they're, they're doing or heard people that have graduated since. Uh, one of the big things for me, I think, that taken away from it, obviously, is one of the confidence to go out and, and interview people and that first kind of like dipping your toe into it. But was the... The confidence to to pitch to people, uh, pitch ideas to people, and I think that's what's opened doors for me since I've finished, really, is if you've got a good story and you can get it across quite well to an editor of a, whether it's a website or a magazine, a newspaper, um, it can open doors for you because people can see that you're thinking in the right way, and then obviously your, your writing comes into it a little bit as well. So it's it's kind of building blocks. I mean, the way I've seen it is you... you you set yourself out with little targets. So, you know, first of all, you want to graduate. Secondly, you want to get a few stories into a local paper. You want to get a lead story. Um, then you want to make sure that you're getting paid regularly for something like that. And it's it's all the way up, really. So you do lots of li- little things, and then you, you kind of end up where you are, and hopefully that'll, that'll continue. I mean, Chris, again, this is absolute gold dust in so many ways particularly on a conversational way here between uh, as you've said 11 years ago you made this decision you've started on the journey uh, and I always advocate particularly with uh, as I'm suggesting here maybe the, the student education scenario that 
never ever be afraid you know i always remember starting off uh <laughs> too many years ago now but we won't go there you know talking to students etc etc and and i always encourage them to pitch to learn how to not be afraid and go with the flow go with your ideas put yourself out there as it were and i think greatly so in our industry and the whole sports sphere and really communications how it's advanced and changed so much i think mainly because of social media but because of lots of other uh, technologies uh, if you like so great to hear you say that you know one of my mantras quite often with students was you know you know change your journey path sometimes if you always go right turn left occasionally uh, or vice versa and i'm sure your career as we discuss uh, some of the highlights over the next few minutes or so will probably point and, and show a directional piece there tell us a little bit about maybe some of the modules or some of the course content uh, that you did uh, as a sports journalist and maybe some of the other things that you did outside the course as it were if you could uh, relate some experiences there chris yeah, yeah. I mean, back um, back when I did it, there were there weren't as many digital components as I think there are now. Right. Um, naturally, as you say, things have changed over over the past decade. Um, but we did a lot of sports writing. It was a lot of, of working out where you know, picking a story, um, what the best angle was, how to get the best thing, like the best readable way to do it. I think what you're saying about you go one way or another, maybe you go left instead of right. Sometimes, I mean, that's one thing I found most of all is that. If you might have a story idea that you think is good, but if everybody else is doing it or yeah. everyone else is talking about a similar sort of thing, then it's not it's not necessarily the right way to go. Um, you want to look at something that's a little bit different, a little bit quirky, something that people are going to find interesting, but a story that nobody else has got. And I guess that links to, to learning curve, really, because um, I think the Loughborough University story is quite unheard um, at the moment, or at least untold by, by a lot of people. Um, in terms of when I was at university, I mean the, the modules were, as I say, a lot more written. It was a lot more, a lot about those sort of skills first and foremost. And I was probably one of part of the, one of the last years that, that got as much as that. And I think that's really what I benefit from. Um, I mean everything goes round in cycles, so I hope that I mean well everything is all about the, the digital stuff that's short, pithy copy at the moment. Uh, hopefully things will come round again in the future. Um, and I think that's quite important to take to take everything you can um, at that time, and don't forget it as things change as well. I mean, Chris, we're going to. You, you've almost given me a nice little segue there, but just before I come on to the learning curve and uh, and the authorship and the book that you've written. Uh, which is fascinating and really, really compelling. And I think it's a great uh, left-field story, as you allude to there, maybe as against the normal right-wing stories, or vice versa, without getting politically incorrect here, maybe. But I want to view, if I can, I often kind of, it's not meant to be a provocative or a, a controversial question, far from it, but I'd like your views maybe a little bit, because I've had quite a few interviews with guests on my show recently, and we always kind of end up talking, touching upon or talking about a little bit, even if their skill set or their particular expertise is not in this area, this whole realm of communication, and obviously with the, with the hat, as it were, you're wearing, or the, the label that might be attached to you as a sports journalist 
Do you think the days of journalism are either going to flourish or they've been pegged back or it's a different... You know, I relate through my social media timeline that, that a lot of sports journalists, maybe even a lot of journalists for that matter, uh, are seen as commentators, yes, opinion formers, maybe. But more often than not now, they're seen almost as celebrities and that whether you know, they're out there to generate a responses or to generate kind of headlines through whatever mechanism they choose to do it. But what are your outlying views of, of the role of a very good sports journalist, per se, Chris? Well, really, for me, I think it should be finding stories that, that other people haven't got. Um, so I'm just there are certain things now that I look at a lot of stuff online. Um, certainly some, some top newspaper brands, and it'll be a lot of regurgitated content. Right. Um, it's stuff without quotes. I mean, things... I mean, I, I remember reading something um, on one website, and they said that if you were looking to be a contributor and it was something you could write by not leaving your bedroom, then it's not really journalism. And I, I kind of agree with that. Right. I think it should be something you go out there and you find a story, you talk to people, and you dig out those little bits of detail. Um, as I say, I guess that's that's leaning a little bit more to like, the magazine side of things, but... Um, you know, even with newspapers, I think that there's there's too much of a concentration really on hits, and I understand commercially why people want to do that, but I hope that over time that will change again. I think, I don't think it'll die out, but I think journalism is changing, but I think I can see that there is a little bit of a change again. I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to, a lot of the people that I know, are a little bit turned off to some of this, you know, the, the social media, the, you know, the clickbait that's put out there. Um, and a lot of these short stories, which don't actually tell you a lot, and it's, it's basically, you know, a rumour that's getting getting peddled. And I think people do want some quality journalism still, and there's a lot of people out there still doing doing a lot of really good stuff. And I, I kind of, I hope, I mean, maybe naively that, that that won't die out. And as things change, people start saying, yeah, actually, I do want a bit more of that. I do, I do miss a bit of the flesh on the bones. I mean, Chris, I reiterate, you know, I'm going to make a statement here that, you know, the hopefulness there or the hope, uh, it's not unreal. It needs to be there. Uh, uh, and clearly we might have different titles. You know, I remember, I still remember now being, I am involved in public relations and kind of public relations maybe have gone through a cycle where it had a kind of reputation, maybe a negative reputation of, of all spin, as it were, not substance. But it's my belief that public relations and a lot of newer stuff that's coming out, it's about reputation management. It's about forming opinions, being critical, developing debate, and not just being out there and putting content for its own sake. So, you know, I, I recall, I think, one of my guests quite recently, who was very much advocating a lot of what you're saying, and actually one of his statements was true journalism, proper journalism, real journalism will and is re-emerging maybe from some of the, um, the, the, the the kind of negative stuff, the clickbait maybe aspect that you referred to earlier. And I think is one of his seminal things that he said was, you know, we talk about investigative journalism. Well, journalism is bound to be investigative if it's done properly. So the element of research, the element of making critical comments uh, and, and being there for, for, for that particular reason. So I think that's a very refreshing point that we're kind of both hopefully alluding to here. Let me move the interview on if I... Sorry, Chris, go on. Come back at me, yeah? There are places that do, do that now. Um, I think, I mean, where you saw... Um, 
the, the story about the learning curve was on like the set pieces, which is a brilliant example yeah. of, of storytelling, like football storytelling, um, which is it's great because it is something completely different. I think there are other things out there. I mean, you look at 442, for example, within like football again. I mean, I think that's great because they they tell different stories. So while they kind of tender to the main audience as well, they also have those quirky offbeat stories, which I think people do want and. You know, hopefully, hopefully the figures show that I wouldn't know what sort of hits these, these places are getting and what sort of sales, but I'd, I'd hope that it's successful because I certainly enjoy reading those sort of things. I mean, that's a great point you make. The parallels that you use, uh, yes, they are. They're, they're there because they're effective, and they're there because they're successful in a kind of commercial way. And, and obviously, a lot of what I do is in the sport business sector. It's a very relevant and a very important point. And you know, they're doing it because it works, but they're also doing it for all the other fulfilment reasons as well. And again, you've nicely segued me in because we did meet and we did make contact on that basis that you just alluded to there. So I want to talk about the learning curve. Uh, there wasn't a quite personal reason, but I'll come on to that later uh, about why it kind of resonated with, with me, Chris. But just talk us through why learning curve, what's it all about, and, and, and how you got the opportunity to actually uh, put this uh, this book together, Chris. Yeah, so I guess um, for me, I've got to a point where I'd, I'd done quite a few different bits and pieces, and I'd, I'd got this idea in my head or the back of my mind that I'd like to do a book of some sort. Now, I wasn't dead set on having to do something like last season, um, but basically one time I was driving down um, the M1, because I drive around the different places you know, for my job um, all around the country, and I went past Loughborough. And um, I remember I've been there once before, just after I graduated, I did um, a Loughborough University um match they played um, Stratford Town and it was like Midland combination yeah. so it was a long way down and my mind suddenly started thinking about that and I thought how unusual it was that there was a student football team in uh, in non-league so it was all these these guys 18, 19, 20 that were, were pay, playing all these grizzled ex-pros I guess um, or semi-pros um, I guess what really so Learning Curve is about Loughborough University and all the different bits that go on with that now initially I didn't think about uh, the book um, when I got in touch with them, because I thought, you know, there could be a great feature here, um, you know, talking about the students and what it's like for them. Um, but then as I went there and I spoke to different people, I went to a game, they played Herringford, um, not last season, the season before. They actually lost 5-0, but I actually went there and it was a great occasion. I, they'd got a record attendance there. Stadium, it said that was a £4 million stadium that they'd got that had been put together to, to host football. And I spoke to them all about, like, people you know, backroom staff as well as players that have gone off and done great things. And it seemed like Loughborough had got loads of stories that hadn't been told. I thought, this book could do that. So you've got people like famous people, um, Bob Wilson, Laurie Sanchez, Dario Grady, who've all come from Loughborough um, and achieved great things. And then you've got people who have more recently got got into the Football League after being students, like you've got Robbie Simpson, Bradley Pritchard, um, I guess away from Loughborough, you've got people like Duncan Watmore who've gone and uh, gone and achieved something as a university student, um, and then played in the Premier League. So there's a lot of these stories that I just thought people weren't telling. Um, my story, while it's focused on Loughborough originally, it does look at university football as a whole, how it can grow, how it can support, and how how it has supported um, the national game. So there's a lot of strands to it. Um, there's a lot of funny little nuances that they've got to deal with. For example, um, you know, being a university, 
you know, how do you get teams out at Christmas when all the students have gone back home? Um, start of the year, they, they start the season in, in August, but then they don't get a lot of players turn up until late September, early October. So how do, how do they deal with things like that? Um, but the facilities are great as well, so how do they benefit? They don't pay these players, whereas they can go a few miles down the road and get paid to play um, at the same level. So what, what do they offer? Um, and there's a lot of different things that go on with it, really. I mean, they play 60, 70 games a season, which is an incredible amount. Um, they have two managers who you know, could have a game. One game could be on a Tuesday afternoon, um, Tuesday evening, sorry, and one could be on a Wednesday afternoon. So how do they decide who plays for who? because these players can't play for both, so they've got to work priorities. And it's a very interesting way of working, and I don't think there are many other football clubs like it, to be honest. So it develops into this book, um, Learning Curve. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people who have gone on from Loughborough and was involved in the football club to go and achieve brilliant things. There's a lot of, of people now who are, you know, the next bunch that are going out. I mean, there's a guy, Depo Afalayan, who's uh, signed for Solihull Moors last year, but he's been linked to, to clubs like Brentford and Derby in the Championship and uh, I know he went on trial to Rochdale last year um, but what he wanted to do was keep a, keep a semi-professional uh, interest in football um, and continue his career um, as a civil engineer as well and get his degree and then he would look at you know he's got two more years doing that and then he might look at being a professional footballer after that and, and going back some time for him he'd actually been offered a deal at Chelsea as a 16-year-old. Um, he decided he wanted to keep on going with school and education, so he actually turned down Chelsea in preference to go and continue playing football somewhere else so he could also get a, a qualification as well with that. So there's, there's lots of stories. Um, I kind of think it all kind of comes together quite nicely. And the, the season last year um, that Loughborough had kind of provides a little bit of a narrative for, for all of this to come through. So it's, a, it's got a bit of structure rather than being a bit of an anthology, really. I mean, Chris, I'm, I'm overwhelmed here. I've just sat back listening. I mean, I suppose this is why we call it the beautiful game. Uh, and I'll just come back at you with a few comments because in many ways it was kind of the introduction, uh, you know, and the untold story, I think this story has got legs, uh, if that's using a sporting metaphor almost, but I'd like to see it develop, I think there's so much there, and I'll talk now, but I also want to talk, as it were, off air to you, because I, I've got a great platform, I think, how we can um, expedite maybe some of the effects of doing a, a project or a, an author of a story like this and to develop it in so many different ways I by the way am one of those grizzled ex-professionals and uh, I had a similar background a similar career and my start and you know the the university sports scene I mean there are quite a few universities doing it now Cardiff Met University has actually got a football team playing in the Champions League I believe so the start of this year or certainly the pre-qualifying round and, 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 and has been playing in uh, the Welsh League and lots of other things so there are lots of parallels there I was fortunate at university as well like, you know, the, the Loughborough playing uh, Hereford and so on. I mean, we actually had some games against Liverpool Reserves uh, at university with me and another university uh, opportunity played with both Brian Hall and Steve Highway, Liverpool legends. So there are some fascinating parallels here. But one of the things that I think is the real story here, and maybe um, to continue the interview along these lines, that sport does play a, a, an incredible role and an opportunity for people like you and people like me for a career lifetime to use sport as a vehicle 
um, to develop ideas and to develop communication. So I wish you very uh, every success with this project, and I, I hope it continues. One of the things I'd like also to talk to you about that, you know, the place of university sport, in some sports it's still quite high, but in maybe in the football world, you know, it's still almost considered, as we've alluded to here, grassroots. Whereas in the USA, I'm, I mean, I've got a lot of links with um, some universities, where university sport is professional in many ways and is very much a major part. Do you think university sport per se or generally in the UK can take on a much more kind of professional um, uh, kind of functional role or has it got a place in professional sport Chris? I'd say yes I think it probably it lends itself to some sports more than others so I mean the Luff for example is, is perfect for this because they've got um, swimmers that have gone off to the Olympics yeah. world championships who are students there um, I think that kind of lends itself because of the age that swimmers are when they're kind of at their peak um, you've also got other athletes. Um, I know Loughborough hosts like women's women's cricket uh, train there as well. So yeah. there's a lot of links between the university and the elite level. I think football's a little bit different because I think people consider that if you are going to be elite, you will have gone and be playing for a top team already by the time you're 18, 19, 20. Um, I think that's why football isn't kind of respected the same over here that it is as a kind of pathway. I mean, over in the US... American football, obviously, you, know, you go through college football and that's the way that you, you make it. Um, over here, it's not seen quite the same. I mean, you mentioned Liverpool, actually. Yeah. I know, I mean, Steve Highway was a student, I think, wasn't he? Oh, he yeah, yeah. Well, I, I played football alongside Steve and alongside Brian Hall and, you know, the emergence of those kind of people who came through. It was fairly uncommon. You know, they were known uh, in Liverpool as Little and uh, uh, Big uh, Gascoigne because Bamba Gascoigne was the host of University Challenge. So there were lots of similarities and parallels to some of the things that you've talked about. I mean, when when, um, Liverpool played Loughborough, actually, towards the end, well, at the very end of last season, so after after they just stayed up in the Midland Premier League, they ended up playing Liverpool a few days later, like two weeks later, and it was, you know, that's quite an unusual thing to to be doing. I mean, struggling to stay up against, I think it was Walsall Wood that went down in the end, so battling against teams like that and then playing Liverpool, you know, a couple of weeks later was, was incredible, but I... I spoke to Alex Inglethorpe, yeah. um, who is the, um, I think it's head of the academy, isn't it? Liverpool? Yes. Um, and I also spoke to, um, his name escapes me now, Neil Critchley, yeah. who's just taken the under-23s job um, at Liverpool as well. And I spoke to them, um, and their, their interviews are in the book about university football and how it can play its role. So obviously they're coming from a big club. Um, so they want a lot of players to be going through and staying with them uh, and training at uh, you know at Liverpool if they're an elite level. But the way they were talking is they want more players who are then going to drop out if they don't get a deal at Liverpool, which I dare say a lot of youngsters probably don't. They're, they're actually thinking about their futures and using university football as a pathway back in. So can they do a degree um, and play for a, a non-league team for a few years so they've got a backup as well? Um, and I think that's the role that it can play, so not at an elite level necessarily, but perhaps at the next level down. I mean, a lot of footballers now, um, I mean, you get to League One, League Two, they're not earning massive, massive books. They're not earning loads of money. But what they need to do is think about what their career, when they finish in their mid-30s, and this is where a place like Loughborough, um, 
other universities, you mentioned Cardiff Met, if they can develop and be a place for people to go, they can learn extra skills, be it football or somewhere else, alongside playing as well. Um, I mean, there are a few issues as well. The FAA in this country um, caused a few issues with developing um, a football club um, from university as well. So Team Bath, obviously, a few years ago, yeah. were trying to get into the football league, um, and they were told that then the way that it had been set up, they couldn't go any further when they did, and they, they folded, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that the FA stops institutions having football clubs that run on into the football league. So there, are, there is potential that if they, you know, if someone back to university and they, they had a really, really good system, that they could get a lot of really good students to be the premier place for students to go and grow, and they could be in the conference, they could be in League Two if they, they had the right players come in, the right recruitment. Um, and unfortunately you can't do that with the FA ruling whereas you can in Wales, you can in Scotland yeah. um, but not in England and I think that's what's holding it back a little bit um, I mean you see a lot of clubs going out of business a lot of clubs not being run very well whereas universities would run clubs well and they would have the players at the at the heart of what they wanted to do and it seems a little bit of a shame that there is this this skyline really they can't go any further at the moment Um so I think that's what's holding that back. And, and to answer your question, I think university sport can help, you know, rugby players, swimming, athletics, all things like that. But I think with football at the moment, it's it's difficult. But maybe maybe that will change in the future. I mean, Chris, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I'm so passionate about what you've just said and listening to the insight and the absolute spot on. You've nailed it in, 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 in terms of what's needed. We need more debate, but more importantly, maybe... Uh, there's a start of a campaign here because I genuinely, uh, I'm going to be doing a global sport business festival in November, and, and I'll talk to you uh, in, in another uh, in another moment about all of this. And we will be talking about some or all of those issues. And in fact, uh, my guests are a lot of people coming over from American sport, and we're talking about the connections between sport and business, sport and education, sport and universities. So you've you've touched upon a lot of the points there. And I mean, in my day, you know, they said that the non-league pyramid, the non-league pyramid that I was playing football in, and lots of people, I mean, Steve Highway, was bought by Bill Shankly from Skelmersdale United, uh, who are about to, they're in a bit of bother at the moment, and they're, they're, they're trying to keep themselves afloat. But they um, spawned a lot of great footballers, and Steve Highway being the best. And obviously, in time, the rule where um, the football uh, non-league clubs couldn't get into the football league pyramid, you know, that's been broken now. And maybe we can look at how, uh, in fact, university sport and university education can do exactly the same. Let me kind of do some summations here and sadly put some closure on our short interview um, today, Chris, which has been uh, fascinating and, and, and very insightful you talk about glow. We talk about sport. We talk about the influence uh, of, of education. You know, very many universities. University of Bath. You know, it, it hosts and, and, and teaches almost the opportunities for for talented sports people to, to to make not only their fulfillment in sport performance, but also sport fulfillment as a career. What advice and what tips would you give for people coming out of university? How they can use their skill sets and their education perhaps to um, to flourish in a kind of broader sports environment as a career, Chris? I think with sport it's very competitive. A lot of people want to 
to get into it, whether it is, you know, playing sport, whether it's sports writing, whether it's sports marketing, whether it's sports management. And, and I think what you've got to do is make sure that you're doing something different. I think a lot of people yeah. um, come out of, of university and they think that that's it, the next right of passage is that they get a job. And actually, a lot of the people that I think have been most successful within the industry that they picked or the sector that they picked when they went and did a degree have been the ones who then have had a buffer. So it's almost like a year in between graduating and getting a, a full-time permanent job because they're going out doing lots of different things and not just resting on their laurels and saying, I've got this degree. Um, and going out and trying to build on that, really. Um, so I think that's, especially in sport, more than ever, that you've got to go out and try to, to make something for you. Try and do something different. So I think... Um, Anyone who's doing something that's exactly the same as anybody else, um, you know, it's like if you were holding a music festival, if you put on a music festival and they've got the, exactly the same audience as, uh, you know, Glastonbury, you're never going to get more people coming to see you. You need to have your own okay. unique sort of selling point. Yeah. You need to do something that's, that's just for yourself. And I think with a lot of people, they need to do that to build a career in sport as well. Chris, I mean, that's great advice. It's a very natural stopping point. I just make the comment on that. They're so important, you know, stand out, be memorable, competitive distinctiveness, don't be afraid to shout and, 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 and to, to, to almost embrace, embrace it and make sure your voice is heard. Because make no mistake, and that's why we got together, that's why your interview has been so compelling and fascinating, is that you've got a story to tell. Your voice is being heard, and never ever forget that. I'm not just saying that, obviously, clearly to you, Chris, but I'm saying that to all of our audience, and I think you've uh, illuminated on that fact, on that fact, and, and that perspective, Chris, excellently in today's interview. So I thank you for that. I wish you all the success. Just before I let you go, Chris, a couple of shout outs for you. Tell my audience how they can contact the Chris Evans here, the, the Chris Evans of uh, sport journalism. Tell us a little bit about how we can make contact with you. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm on Twitter like everybody is. Um, I guess I, mean, I have a bit of a promotional thing, so I didn't have loads of uh, those followers on there, but um, obviously you can reach out to me on, it's uh, Chris Evans Wright, um, so Wright W-R-I-T-E. Um, and I guess if you look on uh, Amazon and look for Learning Curve, you can find the uh, find the book as well. Um, so I guess that's a, a great way to, to kind of get a feel for, for an example of what I do. Um, so they're the main two ways, but if people kind of, reach out to me like yourself Alan I mean I'm, I'm more than happy to chat to people and, and talk to them about what I'm doing so uh, if there's anyone whether it's somebody new starting out want to ask what I what I do and how I've done it um, or what I'm aiming to do um, I'd be happy to talk to them Chris that's a great comment fascinating interview really appreciate take care good luck for the future and we'll keep in touch thanks a lot Chris yeah.